Welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Tony Guerra, pharmacist, publisher, and professional editor, bringing you interviews and advice on succeeding in your residency journey. You can sign up for the email list at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com to get your free LOI template or get editing help working one-on-one with me at residency.teachable.com. Let's get started with the show. Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today I'm going to talk about how many applications you should submit, and I'm going to use an article that was in the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, JACCP. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the abstract, the methods, results, and conclusion. Uh, The title is Factors Associated with Pharmacy Residency Matching, a Scoping Review. So we're going to go through each piece and just kind of talk a little bit about the things that increase your match rate possibilities. And we're gonna focus especially on the number of applications and how it's really tough to generalize uh, this type of data. But again, this is what we have. So let's, we're gonna actually increase the size here because we really just wanna kind of focus on uh, these pieces. And I wanna make it as big as I can for those of you looking on a mobile device. So. We'll start with the abstract. And unfortunately, the the second word is not true. Uh, But here we start with the introduction. The increasing demand for pharmacy residency programs continues to outpace the supply. That is false. The decreasing demand for pharmacy residency programs continue to outpace the supply. That's going to sound strange. But here we can see the ASHP match statistics. And here we can see the demand curve which is the red one, the number of applicants that we have coming in, and it is decreasing. Now, these guys should have known that. This was submitted in July, accepted in August. So uh, that is incorrect. Uh, the, The number of people that want residencies is decreasing, but it is true that it still outpaces supply. But the next sentence is true. There's a mismatch between the number of positions and number of residency applicants and many interested and qualified candidates without a residency. And so that's two different things. Many interested candidates are without a residency, but the question is how many of those were qualified? Now, when we're looking at this graduating class, this is the most accepted class in the history of recent pharmacy applications, 82 point, about 82.9% were accepted in the cycle of the people that are graduating. Now, it, it's different because you have three-year schools and four-year schools, but the big jump comes next year. So the class of 2024 was accepted at a rate above 86%, the class of 2025 above 88%. So this class was accepted at a rate of a little bit over 82%, about the same as as last year. But that means that four out of five pharmacy applicants were accepted. So I think there are many interested candidates, but I don't necessarily know that there are that many qualified candidates. The whole point of the residency matching process is to take the most qualified candidates. So the objective of the review is describe available literature uh, and so forth. And the methods really just tell us how do we get from about 2,000 articles that matched certain key terms that they looked for down to 
28, okay? And so what we're looking at is, what are these 28 studies looking at? And half of them, well, more than half of them, looked at mock interviews and residency preparation courses. And they look at those two things, having mock interviews, having residency preparation courses, as quotation fingers, an intervention. Okay? And those interventions do show that uh, we do have increased rates. And I'll talk a little bit more about the courses that, that we offer and um, how you can, if your school didn't offer them or offer them, it didn't really match like the time, like you took it a year ago. Uh, we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, two studies surveyed residency program directors as undesired traits of prospective candidates. So what are the things that RPDs are looking for? Uh, and then 10 studies analyzed national data. So a higher number of residency applications. This is where we get into a number of the things that are going to be important. So here are the pieces, and what I'm going to do is I'll, I'm going to flip to a Word document to, to help you out here. But a higher number of residency applications, higher number of interviews completed or invitations received, publication of research abstract, higher grade point averages were associated with higher match rates. Pharmacy school characteristics with positive impact on match rates include publics, older age of the school, higher NAPLEX scores, and affiliation with an academic medical center. So what I want to do is take that out of this so that we can better understand what's going This podcast episode is sponsored by the audiobook Perils of Polypharmacy by Eric Christensen, BCGP, BCPS. It provides countless case examples of common adverse effects of the prescribing cascade and complications in polypharmacy to help you prepare for your residency case presentation and interview. Find it on Audible or Amazon.com where you can get a free copy if you've never had an Audible book before. So let's divide this into two pieces. One, what increases your odds of matching? And two, what pharmacy school characteristics matter? So a higher number of residency applications. And we can look at this a couple of different ways. So first of all, who is likely to have a higher number of residency applications? Okay, so we would say a better student that generally does more work than is expected. So the average number of applications is somewhere closer to 11 and 12. And so a better student is one that would do extra work and would say, okay, it's exhausting to do these residency applications, but I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to do 15, 16, 17 applications. And I know exactly what you're saying. You're saying that's so expensive. But when we look at the cost of pharmacy school, you know, the couple of hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars for on the upper end, and we look at the cost, we're talking about something in the hundreds versus something in the hundreds of thousands. So the false scarcity that you have is coming from the amount of money you have left after that check kind of clears uh, for your, your tuition and the actual overall project. So more residency applications, that's going to give you a better chance. Higher number of interviews completed or invitations received. This also makes a lot of sense. Okay, so the residencies are saying that you are a better applicant. You are a good match for the places that you have applied. And this doesn't necessarily mean you are a better student. 
It means you were better at choosing the right residencies to apply to. And that is a huge distinction. Uh, many times I hear something like, what if I have a lower GPA? Do you match? That is much more important than having a very, very top GPA. But GPA will matter, you'll see. Uh, publication of research abstracts. And so what this is saying is part of your job as a resident is going to be to do a uh, residency research project and it's just easier for them to teach somebody that's already done it before and so publication of research abstracts uh, is going to be helpful and that, so the research abstract though is really the ashp mid-year presentation and it doesn't have to be that one but for many of you it will be and then higher gpa this is a rubric thing some residencies have a rubric that says higher gpa and some have a rubric that says if you're over a certain number, maybe 3-2, we don't care about your GPA. And so you want to look at the residency handbook if you can find it for that site. And if they use a rubric, and this is something you can ask, you can say in the residency application process, do you consider GPA a cutoff where you simply meet the standard? Or do you look at it as a rubric where a higher GPA gets more points and that's a really important thing to ask okay pharmacy school characteristics public institution these first two go together uh, the publics are much more likely to be older uh, because there just simply were more public pharmacy schools before the great influx of all the private so uh, it's really unusual that a new pharmacy school is going to be public though one of the uc schools is adding a pharmacy school and i think a new york school did that as well but that's really rare so if you go to a public institution your chances go up but let's look at and make sure to to note this and i want to go through the whole sheet before i do um, look at pharmacy rankings for residency so i wrote the book for myself but other people use it where you're like okay well let me see where the public institution actually ranks because some public institutions rank really low uh, one of the top schools in naplex can be one of the lowest schools in residency and vice versa okay uh, older age of the school so has the school been around but again this is very individualized okay you really want to look at which school it is because um, two of the most <clears throat> recent schools to to come around medical college of wisconsin and then william carey in mm, it's next to mississippi i think it's i think it's in mississippi and it but it really is probably more part of the new orleans market this is really individualized because there are two schools that are super new uh, that are very good at matching um, if you look at, you know, Finlay, you know, that is not a public institution and that is the very top matching school. Um, higher NAPLEX pass rates. This makes sense because of risk. The lower your school's NAPLEX pass rate, the more likely a uh, residency program director is going to have to deal with somebody that has failed it. Now, again, we had the tragedy of 220 students who have had incorrect NAPLEX pass rates just recently. And that was, you know, absolutely devastating. But in general, the higher your school's NAPLEX pass rate, the less risk you present to the residency. And especially in California, 
where CPJE is so difficult to pass. It's really important. I'm surprised they didn't look at MPJE. I would be interested to see if that was part of it as well. Uh, and then affiliation with an academic medical center. I would say two things here. Uh, the affiliation with an academic medical center, one, you're affiliated, so you have opportunities for residency. So appies and residency. So what happens is, is you've got a big academic medical center right next to a public institution that is very old. Those students are doing appies at the academic medical center. Those preceptors know them, and many of those preceptors are RPDs. So the affiliation with an academic medical center is more that there's so many more opportunities to get appies that are going to allow you to interact with the RPDs. So if you are at a flagship uh, institution, you know, many, uh, you know, what, what really adds that extra, you know, 10 or 15 residency placements uh, is going to be a very large academic medical center where they take a lot of the students uh, that are affiliated uh, with that college. Now, does this mean you can't get into one from outside? No, you can obviously you know, get one. It's just much harder to do. Okay, so those are the big pieces. And I want to show you a couple of things that I provided that, that might be able to help you along. Okay, so in terms of the, the courses and, and taking a course, um, I did create a free one, you know, the Pre-Residency Audio Academy, where it takes you through 12 of the kind of pieces of the application process, you know, to and through residency. So if you just want to kind of figure out what's going on, your school doesn't offer one, that's fine. You're welcome to, to join that for free. Um, if you want one-on-one -on -one help with the letter of intent, um, takes me time to, to do these things. And really it's, it's just saving up for three children who are going to go to college in the same year. Um, the Extreme LOI Makeover course with templates, video, and audio guides. I help with uh, letters of intent and covers. And what this really does is two things. It's not just fixing your grammar. It's not just you know editing it so that it, it does well. That, that is certainly part of it. Um, but what I do is I help you with two letters because you need to know how do you get from one letter to the next if you're doing 12 letters, 14 letters, 16 letters. Uh, and yeah, I, I help some people with all of them, but most people I help with too. And so I help you with the first one. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. And then we move to the next one and say, oh, okay, I see how I need to change a couple of things on my letter. But the important thing is that you are not using the UCSF letter. This is the UCSF letter. Dear Dr. Parker, I'm writing to express my interest in applying for a PGY-1 pharmacy practice residency at... I've had the pleasure to meet with your current residency at ASHP Mid-Year. Your program offers many experiences that I look for, okay, and so forth. If your letter starts with this, two things about that. One, you're plagiarizing it, which is going down here, copyright 2013, Office of Career and Professional Development, UCSF. Now, obviously, if you go to UCSF, they are granting you the right to use it. That's fine. But the problem is, is that the big thing you want to do is stand out. And you can't stand out if your words are one, someone else's, and you're saying you're innovative, and two, that you're using the same words as other people. Anecdotally, about 40% of students use this paragraph. So it makes it so much easier if you don't use this paragraph. I'm writing to express my interest. I have had the pleasure to meet. Your program offers many experiences that I look for. 
when you do that, you've completely removed your ability to be original, innovative, and to, to show that through your application. So again, just, just don't do it. Just don't do it, okay? So what I do with the LOIs, I make sure that you have your unique template to yourself and that you know how to use it, okay? Uh, the next thing is when you get to, if you have trouble with your CV, I can help you. Uh, this is mostly for those that maybe uh, English is not their first language or haven't had a lot of uh, practice in writing and things like that. I think a lot of schools do a good job of, of making sure that you have an okay CV, uh, but I've just seen so many students have errors in their CV and the problem is, is that you feel a little bit awkward uh, going back to the professor, hey, can you look at my CV again? I've updated it. Hey, can you look at it? I updated it and I make sure to do this for all my Appy students. Uh, and then the last thing is preparing for the uh, interview. So what is your preparation? You know, um, have you, uh, do you understand the point system is really what this is about. And if you sign up for that interview preparation, uh, really what I do is I help you with the uh, PowerPoint that you're going to need to use uh, to present yourself. Uh, I will tell you one thing that you should not use is the SOAP. So a lot of students get really clever and they say, I'm a soap note and subjectively, why should you accept me? Objectively, why should you accept me? Assessment, this is why you should accept me and the plan, you should accept me. Um, the reason is twofold. One, it's kind of cheesy and you know we need to rise above that. But two, here's the nightmare. You do the soap note and then someone else does the soap note and so you end up doing the same presentation as two or three other people. Uh, I will tell you this, this is a very embarrassing story from high school. Uh, first day of high school, ninth grade, uh, I got a shirt. Two other guys in the class were wearing the exact same shirt. So embarrassing. <laughs> and I mean, it really was like, your mom dressed you. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, I did go shopping with her for that first day. And it was just brutal. Same thing here. Uh, you don't want to have. Um, the, you don't want to have the same presentation as someone else in your group. Okay. All right. So those are available. Residency.teachable.com. I love working one-on-one -on -one with you, uh, and I try to make it as affordable as possible. Every course is ninety-five dollars, um, and again, that's. Uh, I think you'll find when you start looking at other places that you can do this, it's pretty reasonable relative to, to other places. Okay. All right. So we've got kind of the, the whole thing where we've, you know, increased our odds of matching by more residencies, getting by doing better letters of intent and better CVs, you're getting more interviews. Um, the publication of the research abstract, uh, that is, you know, kind of on you to make sure that you do do some research with one of the uh, professors in your appies. And then the higher grade point average, that's up to you to figure out which schools care and which schools don't. You could apply to 15 programs, but if every single one has a cutoff and you don't meet the cutoff, then you've wasted 15 applications. But also, if you've applied to 15 places that make the rubric give a lot of points to a high GPA, and you could have applied to 15 places that just have a cutoff, then you really lowered your chances needlessly. Shouldn't, you didn't need to do that, okay? And then what pharmacy school characteristics matter? Well, let's look at what we really should be doing.
the pharmacy school rankings for residency book. You can even just look in it, um, look inside for free, and you can see which schools are most likely going to get an interview. And you know, again, if you if you've got um, you've never had an audiobook before with Audible, you can get it for free and just listen to okay, um, what pharmacy schools are doing best and what pharmacy schools are not. Because when you go back to this and you generalize and say a public institution, well, some public institutions, but many private institutions beat those public institutions. You say older age of school, but there are two schools that are in the top, very top tier of matching, and they are, you know, I think, five, have, have graduated their first class within the last five years. Um, higher NAPLEX rates, yeah, you, you want to have a high NAPLEX school, but some very low NAPLEX rate schools have incredibly high matching rates because they have an academic medical center right next to them, and the preceptors are prioritizing the fact that they have a relationship with the student over that NAPLEX score. So let me kind of bring you home with this uh, last piece of um, this article, uh, which is the conclusion. Uh, the studies described show the positive benefit of pharmacy school preparatory activities and individual applicant factors, as well as pharmacy school characteristics on match rates. Most studies had limitations in study design and generalizability, and most of the data were heterogeneous. Um, what that really means is pharmacy residency preparatory activities and individual applicant factors. So I've gone over the individual applicant factors that can help you, but really it comes down to, have you gone to school to learn how to match at a pharmacy residency? And it's not just matching to a residency, not matching to the residency could be the difference between working every other weekend and every third weekend. Okay, those are going to be more highly prized to go every third weekend. Those ones that you're every other weekend, those are brutal. Okay, they didn't want that. They probably wanted one that had much more work-life balance. Okay, so what's the order of preparation? It all starts with the letter of intent, not only to, to get that ticked box off, but that you have really taken the time to write down whether why it is you match so that when you are talking to those people at showcase you are very clear especially with your top sites as to why you should be a match making sure that your resume is up to date and that there are no errors on it again uh, most of what you'll have in your cv is going to be put into forecasts but again having a proper resume not having any errors on it and then the interview being prepared by knowing what they're going to score you on, understanding that there are actually three interviews in the interview, that there is the interview interview that you're thinking about, but that there is also a case presentation and that there is also a clinical case that you're going to have to solve. And how many points are they? And I think you'll be surprised at how the breakdown comes. And then if you do need kind of an update with pharmacology, I do have a course that uh, will help you kind of get back on track with pharmacology, kind of a, um, igniting your NABPLEX studying. Uh, that's also available there. Now uh, you can get uh, half off by using the half off coupon code H-A-L-F-O-F-F. -F -F. Okay. So, and then if you need phase two, I'm here for you. Um, but uh, I will tell you that the good news is that the chances of matching in phase two have gone up dramatically. 
All right. Well, thanks again for listening, and I uh, hope to see you guys next week. And I will be in Vegas uh, if you want to meet up, TonyThePharmacist at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You might also like to check out our available residency audiobooks at PharmacyResidencyPodcast.com forward slash books, where you can get your first book free if you've never been on Audible before, or work one-on-one with me as a professional editor at Residency.Teachable.com. Feel free to send an invite to connect with me, Tony TonyFarmD, on LinkedIn, or email me at TonyThePharmacist at gmail.com with questions. Music was by Policy.